Bill. I am your co-host, Phil. And The Mummy, played by Sofia Butella, is without a doubt the best thing about The Mummy, the film. Whoa. You're, you're coming out hot. Yeah. Phil, you're coming out hot. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm your other co-host. And, dear God, not everything needs to be franchised. Least of all, this. Yeah. 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 It's true. Um, it's true. We're talking about the new Mummy, which is meant to pump some life into Tom Cruise's career, but has sadly backfired hmm. as it flopped at the box office. Big time. I mean, it and, made $38 million, which is enviable in that it made that much money, but it probably cost five times that much to make. Yeah. I mean, it was considered considered a flop. I mean, yes. when the, the opening weekend is so important to studios, this film lost out to Wonder World. I'm not Wonder World, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Wonder World? <laughs> Sorry, yeah, not Wonder World. That's going to be in 2028. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, well, we're talking about The Mummy. Uh, before we get into the discussion, though, I want to tell you guys out there where you can find this on the web. You can go to our blog, which is found at www.in-the-q. That's the letter Q.com. You can go to our Facebook page. Just search Facebook for In The Q. It's spelled Q-U-E-U-E. Mm-hmm. Both of those places, you can find all of our episodes. You can find uh, videos and other things we post on the Facebook page. And if you want to contact us, we'd love to hear from you. Just contact us on Facebook. And we can actually have you on the program to talk about the film of your choice. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at ITQ Podcast. And lastly, you can find us on iTunes, Podcast, Overcast, or any other podcast aggregate app. Indeed. So, without further ado, the film we are talking about today is The Mummy. You have no idea what you have unleashed. What the hell? did you get out of that plane? There's not a single scratch on your body. You are alive because you were cursed. Cursed? By what? The ultimate evil. Welcome to a new world of gods and monsters. saw that, right? <laughs> she did something to me. The very essence of evil calls to you now.
<laughs> well, wow. Doesn't that sound over. endlessly exciting? Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is the mummy. The uh, It's been updated because Universal is launching the Dark Universe series. Oh, with man. This film. Great. Just A whole cinematic universe. If you were lacking in cinematic universes, now there's another one, folks. Oh man, well, yeah, two be... two in a single year. We we got a new Kong cinematic universe, and now we have a new Universal Monsters cinematic yeah. universe. They're gonna bring back the Invisible Man. They're gonna bring back Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I'm not looking forward to Dracula. That at all. They're doing the whole nine yards. They're really. It seems kind of like a desperate grab. At what Disney has had so much success doing. Yeah. But, yeah. And anyway, the uh, the story of this movie, uh, Tom Cruise is Nick Morton. He's a treasure hunter, and uh, this movie seems to be lifting a lot from the Indiana Jones legacy. <laughs> I feel. Um, that's a, that's a generous so, statement. <laughs> doing so rather poorly, but uh, Tom Cruise is Nick. And Jake Johnson is his partner, Chris, and they're treasure hunters, basically. And they're in the Middle East trying to find treasure in present-day Iraq. And the setup for this film is that um, many years prior, there was uh, a princess, mm-hmm. uh, Ahmanet, yes. played by Sophia Butella, who was uh, promised uh, the kingdom... And she was betrayed mm. and murdered. She was mummified. I mean, she was betrayed in that her father had another child that happened to be a boy. Right. So they opted to go with the boy to lead the kingdom. And, uh, you know, some people would paint this new mummy as, at least going into it, I thought that this would be kind of like a revisionist mummy. Like, there would be like a hmm. feminist bent to this film. Because the mummy was female? Is right, but yeah. but this film just kind of reinforces all the worst characteristics of the patriarchy. <laughs> I mean, like, there's really, other than the fact that the mummy is played by a woman, uh, there's really nothing progressive about it. Um, but what happens is, to give you kind of like a general summary, um, Tom Cruise uncovers the mummy. He wants to take it back with him. While it's on the plane with him and his uh, partner in crime, Jenny, yeah, um, the plane is attacked by bats who are brought on by the evil birds. Ra- are they birds? Ravens. They're like crows. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, they're the 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 mummy brings this upon them, and the mummy forms this inextricable link with Nick, and uh, yeah. when the plane crashes. Um, Things ensue. Things ensue. I mean, that's <laughs> and, as good uh, a description as what actually happens. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's kind of absurd. Uh, Doctor Jekyll makes an appearance, who is the linchpin between all of these dark universe films. Well, I'm curious to see how that's going to work out because that makes almost no sense to me. Yeah. Well, you you saw how much sense it made in this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No sense. Russell- <laughs> Russell Crowe plays Dr. Jekyll, who uh, occasionally, when he feels the urge to turn into Mr. Hyde, has to inject himself with anti-Hyde serum, and then he becomes normal again. Yeah. 
It seems like he's always in danger of being Mr. Hyde, but... Yeah, it happens, like, every couple minutes. Yeah, he has to keep himself dosed up in order to not do the same thing that Danny Houston does in Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, that's they're kind of similar, I guess. Dearth of creativity in our bad right. guys. Yeah. Um, well, one thing I really kind of was bummed out about this movie is you've got... How bad it is? To get specific about how uh, the, the, the offenses that it commits, you've got Courtney B. Vance... Yeah, just kind of wasted in this nothing role. Not just wasted, but also once again uh, using the tired old trope of the black guy dying first. Yeah, I mean, it, Jesus Christ, what year is it? I mean, God, yeah, it's not like I nobody's think, aware of this, right? And and the fact that you've got these ugly white American male pirates who are just <laughs> yeah. pilfering the Middle East for their own monetary gain. Yeah. Uh, that's not very progressive. And the fact that you've got this uh, love interest, this woman, Jenny, who yes. has to kind of squeeze the goodness out of the hero and because he's so kind of like uh, self-centered. And, but yet she's, she seems to be totally infatuated well, with him and she she, it's, it proves that he's a good man because you saved my life. Well, here's the interesting thing, is that not only is this drawing on the old Universal monster movie history, and as you say, Indiana Jones to some degree, it's also drawing on the mummy from 1999, I think it was, the Brendan Fraser uh, Rachel Vice mummy. Never saw that one. It's great. It's super fun. Uh, so is The Mummy Returns, in fact. Um, they're fun movies. I mean, they're not going to blow your socks off in terms of being great films or anything. But they're fun movies. And uh, and there is a certain amount of uh, tongue-in-cheek. I mean, those are very tongue-in-cheek movies. They're very, very funny. And mm-hmm. the heroes don't take themselves too seriously. And... The movies don't take themselves too seriously, and they're a lot of fun for that reason. Um, and what you have in those movies is you have Brendan Fraser playing a character who is very similar to the lead that Tom Cruise plays in this movie, very similar to Indiana Jones, in that he's kind of this irreverent, self-centered guy who is in it for himself, right? In it to enrich himself and all of that. But Tom Cruise is not adept at playing comedy and this movie mm. never even asks him to. I mean, there's no, there's no comic relief in this movie, really. Well, Jake uh, Johansson, I think, is uh, supposed to be the comic relief. Yeah, it's pretty weak, um, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but it, he, he uh, Tom Cruise's character, in the case of the Mummy movies, the previous Mummy movies, and in the case of Indiana Jones, those characters are jerks, they're cads, they're uh, self-centered, but they're also charming, you know? I mean, that's sort of what Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford specialized in playing for a very long time, was he's yeah, kind I mean, of... He uh, is charming, but uh, let's also make a distinction that Indiana Jones was an archaeologist who at least wanted to preserve these artifacts. Oh, sure. He wasn't in it for the money, he was in it for the, the history and the, the science of it. Well, then... He wanted these... But it's Tom Cruise is just in it to get rich. 
Sure, but that even that can be endearing in its own way. Um, if you if you, if the character is written right and it's played to that effect, right? If you mm-hmm. want to make a self-centered person charming and but I think that the movie this movie takes itself so seriously, so incredibly seriously and it doesn't really leave a lot of room for uh, like it's trying to walk this fine line between like oh is he good is he evil because you know we'll we'll we may issue a spoiler alert if we decide to talk about kind of how this movie concludes but there's kind of a good evil line it was alluded to in that trailer you know um, but um, well yeah. I think you you I just want to touch on something you you brought sure, up sure. about Tom Cruise's ability to play humor sure and I think that part of why he presents such an unappealing white male uh, <laughs> point of view is that the, the writing requires somebody with a little bit different character than he has to be able to pull off some of these lines. Like, like when, when Jenny says, you know, you saved my life, you gave me the last parachute, and Tom Cruise's response is, I thought there was another parachute. Yeah. Now, with the right actor, that could be a very funny line. It could be very irreverent and sly and sure. slightly dark. But when he says it, he just seems like a fucking jerk. <laughs> and he doesn't have the character to really pull off that type of humor, which is why he's no good at it in this movie. Yeah. And why he was so great at it in Magnolia. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Magnolia used him to full effect. I mean, Paul Thomas Anderson, of course, is a brilliant director and knows how to use his actors and their particular gifts and their personas in order to achieve maximum effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, and like this movie is just a mess, right? It, it's just a, it's, it, actions don't seem to flow into the next thing that's happening in the movie. Um, after a certain point, it becomes just a wall-to-wall action sequence for the last I don't know, probably half hour of the film, if not more. Mm. Um, it just never stops. I, I remember at one point I was thinking there's a point when uh, our hero Nick Morton and his female companion Jenny Halsey are running away from all these undead minions that have been summoned up to attack them, and they they run... <laughs> it cuts away from them momentarily uh, while the mummy is like summoning a spider to crawl into somebody's ear and and uh as this is happening uh it cuts back to nick and jenny and as soon as it cuts back to them it doesn't give you a second to breathe they're tackled by some undead uh crusader who then plunges them through a wall and into a a, a deep water but you never know where any of this you're just like okay this is how the world is underneath the streets of London. I don't understand what's going on. Uh, yeah. I mean, you want to talk about those things that I complain about quite frequently. There's never in this entire film, even at one point in this movie, there is never any sense of spatial orientation or how one character relates to the next character. It's a complete mess. It's a, mm. it's a totally nonsensical from a filmic standpoint. It's just awful. I wanted to address something that occurred to me with this film and with Kong Skull Island, yeah, it, it used to be that I recall watching Spielberg movies in particular as I was growing up, there used to be a really different type of um, way that 
movies paid attention to pacing. Yes. It used to be like adventure movies or action movies. You would, it started with the screenplay. You would alternate scenes of, of intense excitement with scenes of peaceful repose, you know, to kind of bring you back down. And then they would have another action scene. Yeah. And then they would just alternate to kind of, it like they'd be like a roller coaster. You can just kind of go up and down, and it was very effective way to do it. Like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you have interspersed with some of the action scenes. You have just dialogue scenes yeah. that build up the plot, but they still kind of make you focus on what's being said. What yeah. I noticed with Kong Skull Island and with this film, it's almost like they've abandoned that very methodical method of pacing. Yeah, there's just kind of like this, like even level of excitement throughout the whole thing it never flags it never stops it never changes it never modulates even the even in the dialogue scenes they're not in real time they're still like a weird kind of bizarre montage yeah where everything is sped up and accelerated and it's like the lost art of pacing seems to be just that it's like i don't know what's happening i don't know why this has happened because it would have been so simple just to kind of observe what worked in the past and then try and and follow that method and bring something new to it don't just try and completely imitate it but the the roadmaps on how to do a good adventure film are very clear and i don't know why people are are continuously mucking it up well i the the thing that i've seen cited most often is the um the need to appeal to foreign markets, foreign markets where people do not speak the English language and they Mm. want, they, there's been a push over the last 10, 15, 20 years by studios to, because most financing for movies anymore comes from foreign markets. They have been pushing their filmmakers and their editors and their production teams and whatever to make the films more bombast, more action, more, stuff that is quote-unquote understandable to an international audience uh, without them having to read anything. Now, never mind the fact that, I mean, it, it, it's not like films weren't successful in foreign markets before the year, mm-hmm. you know, 2005 or something. But that, that's the, that is the, I don't know whether that is the legitimate explanation. That's the explanation that I've heard most often. Yeah. Well... I mean, I can sort of see why they would want to make them make these movies as accessible to the lowest common denominator as possible. Because, uh, I mean, it was it was a weird experience seeing this movie because there were only like maybe eight other people in the theater, mm-hmm. but they laughed like right on cue. Yeah. Uh, at right right when the film wanted them to. Yeah. It was really strange. Yeah. Um, it seems like a lot of modern day audiences are kind of in this weird symbiosis with contemporary Hollywood. Yeah. And like, I feel out of step with that audience most of the time. Um, yeah. It's a strange thing because I feel like, uh, you know, it, it is, uh, I got into this conversation, uh, with one of my friends, uh, vis-a-vis wonder woman and talking about the, the things that I didn't like about it. And one of those things was the score 
to Wonder Woman, which one of my friends really, really enjoyed and said, oh, isn't it incredible to listen to? And I was like, well, it, maybe to listen to on its own is fun to listen to. But in the context of the movie, I thought that it did a terrible job. It was just wall-to-wall noise when the action scenes ramped up. And the rest of the time, it had nothing to say about the action. It, it didn't comment on the film. It didn't play with the film. And so we started talking about, like, what is the purpose of a score? And, like, why why do people enjoy it? And my friend was adamant that a great score is a score that you can listen to and have fun outside of the context of the movie without having mm-hmm. to think about what was happening in the movie when this music was playing or anything like that. And I was making the case that the score is uh, an integral part of the movie. It, it lives in harmony with the movie, and the best scores are the ones that live the most in harmony with the film that they're a part of. And that, you know, it's that sort of a thing where, where the, the audience, they just want the cool thing, right? They want the, they, they're, they're being conditioned through things like the score or the, the script or the sound cues or any number of different things to react in a certain way. And people are just reacting they're not engaged with yeah. the film. They're just they're just regurgitating the the expected reaction, and they're probably being conditioned by television too, and all oh, other sure. types of media. Sure. And it, this the mummy is just kind of an extension of that. It's the latest, it's the latest new thing that you should mm-hmm. consume because because we say you should. That's yeah. why you should consume it. Yeah. Um, I wanted just to kind of touch on something that I liked. So this isn't a totally depressing wow. episode. <laughs> I'd love to well, hear it's, it. It's, it's nothing surprising. It's just Sophia Butella. I thought she was breathtaking. Uh, I thought she was absolutely captivating as the mummy. I think she oh. was. Uh, she was her presence. I thought made it uh, so much more interesting. And beyond the fact that she was just a beautiful woman, I thought that she she was just a compelling figure, and uh, I enjoyed it. I did not. I likened her to Cara Delevingne in Suicide Squad uh, when she was playing the witch or whatever that character's name is, um, Uh where she was just gyrating her body and moving in like a weird way. And then they just like put a bunch of special effects around her to make her seem like she was interesting or doing something. Um, That's all I saw in this. I mean, I, I didn't see any anything, any shred of a good performance or, you know, anything like that. I just... They were using her as a prop, basically, which I think is, you know, it is what it is, I guess. Well, I mean, I think she was a she was a villain. I, I think she was more than just a prop. I think she she had a little bit more agency than you're giving credit for. Well, I mean, yeah, but it, it was such a bland villain who had no real. There was nothing to her in the same way that there was nothing to Doctor Jekyll in the same way that there was nothing to. Any well, of the characters in this movie. There was, I think, there was more to her than, than that because, she does have an origin story in the beginning of the film. We yeah. we have some kind of understanding of what motivates her. Yeah. What motivates Doctor Jekyll? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. His need for his <laughs> I think, drugs. I mean, like when I, my, when I said that this movie was a, was it, ostensibly, it's going to have some feminist overtones to it, and ultimately didn't. It, it kind of sets sets you up to think that it might the way that she's introduced the way the movie begins with with her story um, but ultimately I guess she had to be defeated for the story to to exist yeah yeah in in its current form sure I mean it, it's 
I mean, there, for me, there's really nothing redeeming about this movie. I think it's a bad movie all around. Um, it didn't make me quite as angry as Kong Skull Island did. Um, I know, Phil, that when we did the episode on Kong Skull Island, I, I told you that I, I, I was making a prediction that there would be no worse film this year. Um, Are you eating those words now? I'm not eating those words. I think this is the closest that we have come, but it did not quite tip over into worst film of the year. I still think Kong Skull Island is worse. But they're both... The the biggest problem with, that I have with both of them is they're both just cynical ploys to create a cinematic universe around characters and such that don't even demand a cinematic universe. And incidentally, this particular cinematic universe is essentially doing what the television show Penny Dreadful on Showtime has already done, which is to take I, all of these characters, you know, Dorian Gray and uh, Frankenstein's monster and, you know, all these... Wait different characters and, and put them together in one place and be like, Ooh, look, isn't this fun? And it, it cool. is fun. It's a good show. Once upon a time did that too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's the same, yeah. same kind of idea. And this movie, I mean, this, this franchise, this cinematic universe is just going to be doing the same thing, except we have to wait two years to see every installation of it. Yeah. But it's I think like, the reason ugh. why this one in particular is going to fail so hard is because they're they're grabbing at an audience of millennials and younger people who haven't the foggiest idea <laughs> what the fuck the dark universe is all about. Yeah. They don't know who Dr. Jekyll is. They don't give a crap. Yeah. The mummy, uh, the invisible man, what's that? Like Yeah. I mean I don't think it's gonna I think it's there's nothing worse than a, a cynical grab that fails miserably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they had more noble intentions, it would be a noble failure, but it's not noble at all. It is cynical. Like you said, well, and curiously they're going for star power. That is not, that doesn't match up with the, uh, demographic they're trying to hit. They're, they're grabbing Tom Cruise and Russell Crowe guys who are in well into middle age. Yeah. And, uh, you look at the other cinematic universes that are being successful and they're grabbing people in their twenties and their thirties you know, mm-hmm. to star in their, their movies. And subsequently people who are in their twenties and thirties are going to see those movies. Um, the movies yeah. are also by and large, much better than, than this track. But, yeah. well, yeah, I think that, uh, it's weird. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you embrace the cheesiness as sure, my wife said, uh, as we were watching it, I guess you could get something out of it. Um, but, it's, I mean, there's good cheesy, there's bad cheesy. I'd say go watch old B-movies, man. Go watch The Room. You'll have more fun than doing this. I still haven't seen The Room. Oh, man, you need to get on that. Get well, on I think it. I, I want to wait to see it with an audience. It's fun to see with an audience. I saw it for the first time with an audience, and it was great. Yeah. Okay, well. we'll yeah, I don't have much that. more to say about this movie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's bad. It's really bad. <laughs> Um, and, and, and actually, shockingly, I usually am a, a staunch defender of Tom Cruise. I think he usually does a great job, and he gets uh, derision that he's, he does not deserve. But he is straight up bad in this movie. I mean, he's just not good. I want to conclude by saying that I noticed that they ripped off an American werewolf in London in this movie, and mm-hmm. I didn't like it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's our show about <laughs> the mummy. Um <laughs> Stay tuned for our next episode. It's going to be another listener's choice. We're talking about the film The One I Love, starring Elizabeth Moss Ooh. and Mark Duplass. Ooh. We've got a new guest coming on the show to talk about this film, so it should be 
a good conversation. Indeed. So we hope you'll join us. Uh, yeah, we'll see you then.